Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. I'm Justin Cochola alongside Tim Hur. Today is Monday, December 9th. We've got your championship weekend recap. We're talking the ACC championship. Not a whole lot to recap other than an absolute massacre on the football field. Uh, a lot of Hokies coaching news. Um, big DC hire today. A little bit of a surprise to some, maybe not to others, but we'll talk about that. Uh, and then, obviously, it is bowl season now. So we've got your list of ACC teams and where they're going bowling. We'll hit on those. We'll hit on some other stuff. It'll be some good times. we got the ESPN Capital One Bowl Mania Chowder and Grit set up. So we'll tell you how to log on to that. But first off, Tim, what's going on? I am sitting here recording a podcast again, basking in the glow of the Christmas tree, as I have been for two to three weeks now. Uh, watching some Serie A soccer on the TV because I didn't feel like watching uh, any college basketball or football uh, this evening. I did watch Washington and Gonzaga, which was a good game. Uh, Gonzaga, I believe, ended up pulling away in that one. Uh, but that's a nice little Pacific Northwest rivalry, I guess. I imagine uh, those two schools being, you know, one in Spokane um, and the other near Seattle. I imagine they probably don't like each other due to proximity and all those things. Um but yeah, it's it's been a good weekend, man. It's what an exciting day it's been in in Hokie Land, and um, you know I was at a Christmas parade uh, this afternoon. You know, so Audrey loved that, and you know Christmas parades are pretty cool. I was pretty thrilled to see that the um, Mr. Peanut Peanut Bus thing oh, yeah. uh, showed uh-huh. up. You know, yeah. so that was really exciting because we're you know in Rollsville, we're not a huge town by any stretch of the means, so. Uh, for us to get the little uh, Wake Forest peanut car was that was big time. That was big time. Yeah, it's always fun to see that in the Oscar Mayer Wiener vehicle rolling oh around the gosh. street. I don't know if you've ever had the uh, pleasure of seeing that on the road. Oh, are you but, kidding? Um, I've, ne- I've never seen it, but as a kid, I owned the Matchbox replica. I oh used wow! To drive yeah. that Wiener Wiener mobile around in my hot tracks all the time. I don't know why, but I've had the pleasure of seeing it probably like ten times. Um, I'll just oh, catch it on the Chicago? road. Chicago. Oh, I'm not even road. no. It's it's actually not even been in Chicago. It's, it was in wow. my days in Texas. It was just all over the place down there. So interesting. Yeah, interesting. You know, we uh, we finally got the Christmas tree up. So good. We were gonna do that a few weeks ago. Didn't happen. Uh, so here we are, December eighth or whatever day it is that we're recording this. And yeah, it's up now. So that's good. You know, that's that, that's out of the way. Also had the pleasure of uh, doing a two year old photo shoot. Yesterday, which uh, for those of you that aren't parents or are parents and know what I'm talking about, one of the more exhaustive processes you could potentially put yourself through as a human being and an adult. Uh, Definitely recommend a couple of energy drinks before uh, taking on that endeavor, maybe a couple of calming pills, uh, (laughs) because, (laughs) man, it is uh, it's something. It's fun. Yeah, man, it's. That's always tough. I mean, it's exhausting. I guess you don't appreciate, you know, especially if you're not a photographer and you, you don't have kids, you don't appreciate how hard it is to get a child to look at a camera that many times consecutively without wanting to rip your hair out. And sitting um, there and looking uh, and, you know, not sticking fingers up the nose or in the hair and the sure, eyes or tearing sure. the bow out. And I'm not a picture guy to begin with. Taking pictures is just one of my least favorite activities. So... Add that in with the two to three year old antics, and, and it's a long, long day. Um, but they're necessary. After you get them, 
you know, you, you look at everything that occurred and, you know, your, your kid looks so cute and it makes you feel great. You frame it. Um, and then you probably forget about it for five to six years. So that's a good yeah. time. Yeah, it's, it's great. So yeah, like today, you know, I was, I was trying to enjoy some NFL football, but the, the noon games as, as they are here in the central time zone, I was very distracted trying to keep up with everything going on with, uh, with the Hokies and the Bulls and all that. But, uh, yeah, some big news in, in Hokie land. So Justin Hamilton has been named the new defensive coordinator of the Virginia Tech Hokies. And, uh, you know, we had talked at length about Barry Odom on the last episode, and, you know, Barry Odom is a guy, he's got four years of head coaching experience at an SEC school, he's a guy who had ties to the Memphis program, and, you know, the Memphis head coach, Mike Norville, he's on his way to Florida State, you know, basically five minutes after winning the AAC championship, you know, that was announced, so he's out the door, we'll talk about him in a little bit, um, and so Barry Odom is, you know, a, a leading candidate for that position, most likely going to get it. You know, I think they did have the agreement in place for him to be the D.C. And, uh, you know, that obviously fell through. So, you know, I don't think this was a backup plan. You know, maybe, I don't know, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But I don't think it should be viewed that way necessarily. And, you know, a lot of noise. You know, there's some people that are shocked. Uh, some people surprised but but happy. Some people surprised but not happy. You know, I think at the end of the day, when the dust settles on this and we're looking back on this in two, three years, we're going to say, you know, this was a great hire for Virginia Tech. Easy to say that now. You know, it'll be easy to say that later if that's true or false. But, you know, this is a guy, Hamilton. He's a Virginia Tech Hokie. I mean, yeah. you know, there was a lot of noise about, you know, we have to have Torian Gray. You know, he's got to come back. He's a big name hire. You could argue the same for Torian Gray as you could for Hamilton. Now, Torian Gray's been a positions coach for 20 years, but he's never been more than a positions coach. He's always been a defensive backs coach. Elite recruiter, some would say. But Justin Hamilton, a little bit more raw, I guess you could say, on the coaching end. You know, he's only been um, in at Virginia Tech from a coaching standpoint, really, since uh, winter of 2018. And there he was kind of a director of player personnel. You know, he took over the position coach for the safeties this year. He will retain that position. There's a lot of people freaking out about that, that he's going to have two jobs. Oh, my God, what's he going to do? What's going on? Do we just not have any money? Bud Foster also coached the linebackers. So settle down. I was going to say that's um, extremely common, if not right. probably more common than just having a sole DC. Is uh, <clears throat> Typically, you'll see your DC as a linebackers coach. Um, you know, that's probably the most important position on the defense. Um, at least from a uh, calling the play and getting the defense stand- set up standpoint. So that's that's fairly common. That's uh, that's not something you should be freaking out about if you are. So here's the thing with uh, with Hamilton, and you know he's a guy. He's been coaching for a while. Okay, so he played at Virginia Tech from 02 to 05. If you remember him here, he was kind of just the guy who bounced around on the team. He was a running back for a little bit, a wide receiver. He ended as a safety. But all that being said, you know, the the respect he has from former players kind of really came out today. There's a lot of guys saying he's one of the smartest guys that they ever played with on the field. It really feels like he has that locker room that's in there right now. The guys really kind of flock to him, it feels like. There was a lot of, you know, good press on Twitter from some of the uh, current players. And, you know, most importantly, he, he has the endorsement of Bud Foster. And Bud called him a future star in the business today. You know, 
Bud's going to be there, you know, in a mentor-like role. And, you know, I, I think it'll be, you know, to be determined on what that really looks like going forward. But, you know, I, I think it would be uh, a little naive to think that Justin Hamilton doesn't have a direct line to Bud Foster at all times to bounce anything defense-related off of him. And, you know, the quote that really stood out to me from Foster today was this, and he says, when we brought Justin back to Virginia Tech, in the back of my head, I was hoping that I could help groom him to someday become a defensive coordinator. While I didn't know when or when that opportunity might come, I'm thrilled that it's happened for him at Virginia Tech. And, you know, he also went on to say that he thinks he's got a future as a, as a head coach in college football. So really uh, positive words from Foster. Was this a splash hire? No. Does that, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? No. You know, Tim, you know, you're not negative on this necessarily, but you do have a little bit of a different viewpoint than I do. I think this is a good hire. I'm not worried about it from what it looks like from the outset. I think this will work out. I think Hamilton's got a support staff there in Blacksburg. They are making a couple of changes uh, to the rest of the staff that we'll talk about in a little bit. But Tim, why don't you, uh, why don't you talk about your perspective here? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to come off too negative, you know, again, because Justin is a hokey after all. Um, it's just a complete yes, roll of the dice, in my opinion. Yeah, <laughs> many Justins floating around. Fuente, Cochiola, uh, Jay Ham, all over the place. Um, but, you know, it, it's hard for me to sit here and say uh, that this this hire would grade any higher than maybe like a C on my scale, and, and this is not a scientific scale, that's that's just an estimate, but we were in a position where we are replacing a legend, uh, you know, one of the most accomplished defensive coordinators in the history of college football. Uh, we had a chance here to make a splash hire, and in my opinion, I, I think we probably should have gone and, and aimed ourselves, you know, aimed our sights a little higher. Um, you're not going to see any of the established programs uh, in the country making a move similar to this. Um, you know, you're, you're talking about the big boys that we aspire to be, uh, those top 25 teams that we're right on the cusp of that we used to be, you know, and perennially a top 25 team. Uh, and, and we're sitting here making moves like this where we're hiring a positions coach who has exactly one year of positions coaching experience on the Power 5 level. Uh, and making him your defensive coordinator seems ultra, ultra risky to me. Um, you know, I, I know you were confident, you, you are confident this is going to be a good hire. I'm not saying that it's not going to be a good hire down the road. Uh, but I will say is as far as a statement that's being made by this program, I think you can read all into that that you want to. And I don't think this statement was strong enough. Um, you know, we have issues when it comes to statements we're trying to make with this football program. Um, you know, our coaching hires haven't been <laughs> the most exciting coaching hires in the history of college football. And we've tolerated an underperforming offensive coordinator, I think, now for a year or two too long. Um, and this kind of just, you know, it, it's it's a C to C minus higher. Um, I, as far as what I like, I like that the lunch pail defense will carry on. Um, there's no doubt that Justin is going to be a torchbearer of what Bud has built and a disciple of what Bud does. And I like that to a certain extent. Although I hope some of the legacy issues that Bud had as far as mobile quarterbacks, how to stop them, and some of the scheme issues uh, that we've had can be patched up. Um, you certainly don't want to see the legacy issues continue. 
I like that he's young, and I like what I'm hearing about him from a leadership perspective more than anything. Um, you know, when you hear guys like David Clowney on Twitter, Brandon Flowers getting behind this, it's really exciting uh, to, to see, you know, what they have said about him from a leadership standpoint and what he was like to be on the team with. Um, and then you have the players, which seem to be really, really excited uh, for Justin to take the reins, which is great. You always want to hear that. Um, another good thing is his recruiting. You hear him highly regarded as a recruiter, and we can't get enough of that right now. So, you know, if, if the whole defensive shifting was done in a, in a mindset of, hey, we need to make sure we get recruiters in big positions where they can make an impact, I'm down with that. What I'm not thrilled about, Justin, is I thought the safeties were one of the weakest position groups on the field this year as far as their coaching and their progress. Um, I'm not so sure the safeties didn't regress this year. Um, which is not uh, what I would call a resounding endorsement of someone that you want to go ahead and make your defensive coordinator. Um, positions coaching doesn't always translate over into coordinating, so I'm not necessarily 100% concerned about that. Um, but it just doesn't make sense to me why you would reward uh, you know, a positions coach in his first year who didn't necessarily do a home run job uh, with a defensive coordinator position. It's just strange to me. Um, you know, and, and the lack of experience overall is, is concerning. I, I'd like to see someone in that defensive coordinator position who had multiple years of power five experience at the very least. Um, to me, that prerequisite was a no brainer unless we were going to reach out for someone like Torian Gray and Torian Gray has a wealth of experience, uh, compared to Jaham. So here we are, uh, for those reasons, I think it's a C higher. I'm, I'm whelmed. I wouldn't say I'm underwhelmed. Um, but I'm close. Here's where my opinion can sort of change and my outlook can change. If we take this higher, that no need to, to dwell on it any longer, doesn't look awesome on paper, and we turn this into a situation where we are changing our team and our coaching at multiple levels, and we end up with a situation where maybe Cornelson has shown the door or Cornelson has dropped from his play calling duties because I think he has let us down. Um, you know, I, I think that's something I could get behind if we're going to try and improve the offense and kind of maintain the defense and keep the defense what it has been doing for the past 20 years and moving forward, try to keep that the same and, you know, give it to a guy that knows how to run the LPD, then I'm fine with that. Um, but if we're going to stop right now and say, this is what we got from a coaching perspective and we go out next year and we say, okay, our head coach is Justin Fuente, our offensive coordinator is Brad Cornelson. And our defensive coordinator is Justin Hamilton. Um, that's one of the worst coaching staffs in the ACC, and I'm not happy about that. Well, let me play devil's advocate. You know, winning the headlines doesn't mean jack in college football. Now, last year, if you're sitting here and you're like, oh, we have Manny Diaz as head coach, we have Dan Enos as offensive coordinator, you know, you would have felt pretty good about going into the next season if you were at the University of Miami. Would you not have? I absolutely would have, but you're playing devil's advocate just to play devil's advocate no, in this case. But because what I'm in no, is, in no what power I'm five is, school would this be seen as a good thing. I'm not this saying is, it's good. I'm not saying today it's going to be seen as a good thing. Okay, I don't think it's necessarily seen as a bad thing. I think it's just seen as a okay. Let's see how this plays out. You know, I'm not going to call it a head scratching hire, but at the end of the day, paper doesn't matter. You know, and I, I think too many times, you know, fan bases and schools, they try to chase that headline. And the headline just doesn't always win. You know, it's a common thing in the NFL. Well, 
You know, they won the offseason. Well, winning the offseason, you know, if you're the Cleveland Browns, ask them how that's working out for them this year. It's not working out really well. It's all about execution. And me, at the end of the day, yeah, it wasn't a splash hire. I get it. I'm not saying that it is. Um, I was a little bit surprised. You know, well, let me stop. Hey, let me stop you there. If it's all about execution, what has you excited about the hire? Because if it's all about execution, hiring someone who coached poorly this year and has one year of experience as a Power Five coordinator shouldn't be met with a round of applause, in my opinion. I don't know if you can necessarily say you can put everything that happened with the safeties position on him. Well, I'm not gonna, yeah, but with position coordinators, that's typically what one tends to do. Well, yeah. But at the end of the day, here's what I'm getting at. If Foster didn't like the job Hamilton was doing, he would not have endorsed him for the job. Totally get that. Now, totally period, end of sentence, wouldn't have happened. So I think it's easy for us as fans. You know, I'm not a film guy. I don't understand the X's and O's like a typical, you know, football mind would. It's easy for us to say like, oh, that's safety, you know was looking into the backfield and let that guy get behind him. Who knows what else went wrong in that play? It could have been an execution standpoint on the player. I think a lot of times we just see bad plays on the field and we instantly go to the coach. Who knows? Who knows what happened? But my thing is, at the end of the day, we still have that lunch pail type of mentality. Okay? We will still somewhat have the foster influence because he is going to help Hamilton kind of rev up here and sure. i really don't think being at a power five school or being a defensive coordinator for an x amount of time like again like yeah it's great to have a track record but at the same time if you think you have a guy who's ready to take that next step and then you let him walk out the door and he goes somewhere else and he turns into a dynamite defensive coordinator we're gonna be sitting here saying what the hell was Virginia Tech doing letting Justin Hamilton walk out the door? Well, sure, but that wasn't going to happen after one year of coaching safeties, which is where I have the issue of Justin Hamilton could have been on the staff for three more years, and the likelihood of him being poached or leaving as a Virginia Tech Hokie was very slim. But and what, you talk what about, you talk do, about paper tigers, and you talk about winning the offseason and those kind of things that get thrown around a lot. Make no mistake, that momentum matters especially on the recruiting trail. And when you have a guy like Justin Fuente who hasn't necessarily knocked the cover off the ball when it comes to hires, and you've got a guy that's leaving in a position that hasn't been open at a university that has been known for its defense for 20-plus years, and you come out there and you promote from within Justin Hamilton from the outside looking in, not the best look in the world. And I'm not saying he's not going to end up working, but those kind of statement hires – Sure, sometimes they blow up. Nothing in football is a guarantee. I guess but what to sit I'm saying here and is say that just, just because don't... it's not a statement or saying that if it was a statement higher, it would have been irrelevant is, is kind of a false equivalency. No, that's to me. that's not what I'm saying. I just don't think the glitz and glam really matters at the end of the day. Because look at the guys transferring out of Miami right now. Look yeah. at Florida State. It's a disaster. Cool. This is what I Do mean. You want it's that? not it's not it's not glitz and glam, Justin. Asking for a defensive coordinator to be experienced is not glitz and glam. No, I'm not, not asking for not, that's Tate Martell to be a quarterback. I'm not asking I'm not for asking, Lane Kiffin to come coach the D. But that's not D. what I'm saying. I don't necessarily care about whatever we think is fans is the right hire. Because we're fans. Well, 
okay, if that's the case, then you have you, what the logic you're using here means that you will never disagree with a hire. It, or, or that you will meet no. every hire with uh, what like I'm saying happy is in round of applause. We it's, it's okay, okay to, to be, be upset about it. It's yeah, okay to it totally be upset is. about it. It's okay it totally to be happy is. about it. I agree. I just don't think at the end of the day, it's make or break for the program right now. I think this was a very very safe hire. Now was it a, a risk hire? Yeah, it certainly was. For later, I think at the same time though. You bring in a guy who you can help mold from Bud Foster. That's what I like about it the most. You've got a Foster guy, a guy who's been in the system, a guy who's played in the system, a guy who knows Virginia Tech football. He knows what it stands for. Even if you bring in a Barry Odom, I would have loved the Barry Odom hire. I'm not saying I wouldn't have. But at the end of the day, Barry Odom... We'd have to be wondering if Barry Odom was going to leave every single year because he was a guy who was going to get an inch. What's a head coach? Always a head coach, right? The Memphis job comes open. Maybe he gets it, maybe not. I haven't seen an official announcement from that. But, you know, it is what it is at this point. I think as a fan, it's okay to feel happy about it, sad about it. What I'm saying is from the paper standpoint, from the glitz and glam, as I've been saying, it's really geared towards Miami because they're a joke. I don't <laughs> care about that. Okay, I just yeah, and, and I don't that, care a, about a winning fine the headline. Stance to have. I just it's don't a fan, care about winning the headline. To have. It is, but this wasn't about winning. Just because you want someone with experience doesn't mean you're going for the headline. Is the only point I'm trying to make here. There's a middle ground, right? And I feel like you know, just because we, uh, not we. Uh, I'm saying me as a person, I would have liked to have seen a coordinator with more experience. Um, join on, you know, as a defensive coordinator doesn't mean I'm only going to hold out and only be happy if there's a headline or hire that's made. You know, if if Monty Kiffin raises from, you know, whatever, I don't know, he's probably still coaching on the professional level at some, you know, to some degree, or maybe he's down with Lane. I have no idea. But I'm not saying we need a guy like Monty Kiffin to walk through the door and come coach his defense. I'm not looking for a headliner. All I am saying is that I think it's too much of a risk uh, to hire someone who's unproven, um, and whose only experience that we've seen has been one year as a average safeties coach. Um, now, I, I will agree. Clearly, there is something that people that know more than me see in him. Um, but that doesn't mean that these people that know more than me get it right. Uh, that's not always the case. And if, uh, you know, Fuente's track record of hiring coaches is anything to draw on upon, uh, you know, he could have really used, I think, a shot in, in the arm uh, for a good coach to come in here. And, and Jayham may be the answer. Um, but make no mistake, going with Jayham, there will be, there's going to be quite the learning period, I think, and there are going to be some growing pains, as there would be with anyone with the same lack of experience that we has, we have, or that he has. Sorry, my words are getting mixed up. It's late. Um, I just didn't think that this was the time uh, that we needed to roll that dice. And and look, I'd be happy to be wrong. I'm not saying he's going to be terrible. It just to me was a it was a strange look. That's all. So I'll say I'll say this because I felt similar when the Packers hired Matt Lafleur, because young guy, uh, you know, forty, you know, not super young. He's been around the league for for a while, but offensive quality guy, quarterbacks coach, was an offensive coordinator for two years. We'll we'll say coordinator. He wasn't calling the plays in L.A. under Sean McVay. Went to Tennessee, ran a pretty mediocre offense, if you ask me. Green Bay sitting at 10-3, number two seed right now in the playoffs. So 
you got a guy that you believe in that's got a good reputation. Yeah, maybe the results on the field weren't great. Maybe that's personnel related. You know, I don't think it was a secret that, you know, Reggie Floyd didn't have a great season. Was that coaching or was that Reggie Floyd? I don't know. You know, I don't just know the, because just the Reggie, Reggie really looked good in 2018. But it's not um, always on the coach. It's on, no, it, it's look, on the player it, it's too. Not, it's not always on the coach. Because you know, we it's, did it's see Devin not. Hunter come in and Devin Hunter played well for, for periods of time and was actually in the game over Reggie Floyd at periods of time. So that to me means yeah. it's more of a player issue than a coach issue. Look, we'll see. I think you hit on it. To me, the biggest positive um, is having Bud still around this football program. And if getting a Bud guy, quote unquote, into the D.C. position means that by proxy, we still see that influence of Foster on that defense, that's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. Um, and, and I don't want to thank anybody just because I'm pointing out to me that it was a strange hire and that maybe I'm slightly uh, disappointed or maybe slightly underwhelmed. Uh, doesn't mean that I'm not going to obviously support this. And don't take that as me bashing Justin Fuente uh, because I know I've been slightly critical of him. Uh, these are just things I point out. And when I overall, when I grade the hire, that's that's kind of what comes to mind to me. Um, this could be the best thing since sliced bread. And I know we'll get into this, uh, but this wasn't the only coaching change, was it, Justin? No, it wasn't. And I'll, I'll, say, I'll say this and I'll move on. Also, I don't like grading coaching hires right when they happen. It's like grading a draft class. How do we know if it's successful? But that's okay? fun. It's fun, but it's all for show. That's what Agreed. I'm getting at. Agreed. Well, that's what we we got to have a podcast. We got to talk about something. Yeah, you know what I mean? but I'm just saying. I'll be interested to grade this. We'll we'll have a first semester assessment after next season, and then by year two, we'll see how it's going. But we'll have no. a really good idea about what we expect and what we're seeing out of Justin Hamilton very early on. The good thing is, he's got a very fully stocked kitchen. Uh, oh yeah. As long as you know the transfer portal doesn't take cold this year, but um, I don't think it will. I don't think it and, will and now. It, it will to a certain extent because that's well, what there, college football is guys. now, right? There's always guys it's, that leave. It's always so. Let's not let's not overreact and go after Fuente again if we start seeing folks in the transfer portal. This is. With the changes the NCAA made, there is free agency in college football now. So let, let's go in with that mindset. And I think, uh, you know, what I've heard from current players, I think if anything, uh, this may keep some names out of the portal um, if it has any effect at all. So, yeah. So there were a couple of other coaching changes announced. Uh, it sounds like there's more coming. We're not going to get into those because there's nothing official. So, in my view, it's not worth talking about. Absolutely. Um, Zon Burden, running backs coach, he has been relieved of his duties. He will not be returning. He will not be coaching for the bowl game. Uh, was a big-time recruiter, especially in that 757 area. Um, but I think it was more coaching-related for him as to why yeah. he is not coming back. Uh, yeah. Never had a 1,000-yard rusher uh, under him. Um, you know, the running backs just, you know, they had some flashes, but it just never got consistent play out of that position under him. The other guy that's leaving, uh, Brian Mitchell, uh, cornerbacks coach. Now, we were talking about this offline, and Tim, I'll let you explain. But on the field performance, it felt like it was pretty good from what we saw out of Brian Mitchell. But, Tim, you kind of alluded to something else. Yeah, and I think there were some frustrations with Mitchell's ability to recruit. And it's one of those things where ideally on a college football team, uh, you're going to at least get a baseline 
recruiting out of your position coaches. It's very important that they be able to wear two hats in that regard. One, obviously focusing on the focusing on the positions group that they're in charge of, but two, being able to recruit that position as well as any other positions and really put in uh, some hard work on that recruiting front. And from what I can, what I've heard reading into the tea leaves, it doesn't. It seems like this change was made with recruiting in mind. Um, maybe the performance was less so on that scale. Because if you ask me, Justin, uh, Waller and Farley look like two different players this year. Um, and, and while all the credit is not, you know, it's not right to give all the credit to Mitchell, I would say, you know, it, he had to have had some positive influence on them because the performance of our cornerbacks were probably the strongest position on our defense by far. Um, so a heck of a contribution from him. Uh, you know, the coaches are obviously confident that they can replicate that as well as get, you know, uh, maybe some fresh blood in here to focus on recruiting uh, and recruiting that 757, which is an area I know they want to hit harder than they have been. Um, if that's the case, then, you know, so be it. But uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't acknowledge what a good uh, job that Mitchell had done this year. Yeah. And, you know, it sounds like, too, that the Jerry Kill effect is really kind of going on in the background here and uh, oh, yeah. assessing coaching performance, not just on the field, but from a talent evaluation standpoint, from a recruiting aspect. So um, wouldn't be surprised to see a couple of more changes coming. Uh, it does sound like there there are some others pending, but, um, you know, we'll see. I think at the end of the day, though, it should be a fairly good thing for Virginia Tech. What I'm excited to see is what does the Justin Hamilton hire mean for the positional coaches? Yeah. Because he's a young guy. Uh, he seems like a dynamic personality. He seems like somebody that can go into a living room and, and win the conversation. Um, he is active on the recruiting trail, so I think we'll we'll see that more out of the D.C. position than we have under Foster, Like essentially. Foster wasn't a big you know, in-home visit guy. No. Um, and so just having that kind of that younger type of vibe there and, and what kind of uh, what he'll get out of his positional coaches, you know, there's obviously rumors about, you know, who some of those guys are going to be. Uh, that'll remain to be seen. You know, maybe there'll be some uh, bigger names, some of those splash hires um, that'll get the fan base excited. But uh, at the end of the day, there will be some changes for Virginia Tech. So we'll, We'll see if those are good or bad, but, you know, again, I think for the most part, um, we've seen a pretty positive reaction from some of the players on the team so far. There hasn't been a uh, mass exodus of, of players so far um, in the transfer portal, one or two here or there, um, but uh, yeah, if you're the Hokies, you're preparing for that bowl game against Kentucky that we'll talk about in a few minutes, but um, interesting start to the offseason for sure. Definitely caught us with a surprise with the D.C. hire. And, uh, yeah, we'll see what this week holds. I do expect that any remaining coaching announcements would be in the next day or two. This isn't something that's going to extend deep into the offseason. You know, guys are out recruiting, you know, their tails off right now. This is a heavy recruiting week. Um, you know, they were talking to Coach O after, you know, he knocked off uh, Georgia in the playoff, and they called him after he had already done an in-home visit this morning. So um, <laughs> those guys are those guys are hitting the houses. uh they're hitting the trail very hard, so uh, we'll see. Any changes and anybody that you see on the trail right now, I'd kind of take it to heart that most likely that means they're going to be involved on the staff in some facet. Maybe not necessarily the same position, um, 
but yeah, I doubt that you see any guys on the trail right now that are um, going to be potentially removed or relieved of their duties. Yeah, I, I agree. That would be a, a strange look, uh, to say the least. But yeah, I, I'm with you. It's going to be an exciting time, an exciting couple of weeks as we go through some names. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe inject some more of that dynamic youth into the staff um, on that defensive side of the ball. And, and, and that couldn't do anything to hurt on the recruiting trail. Um, but, yeah, it, it's going to be a fun time to see what we end up with. I've heard some names floating around, and we won't get too much into the super rumor mill type stuff, but I think there's some pretty uh, pretty good potential that that defensive backs coach um, is going to be somebody that'll probably be pretty special and um, with an eye towards recruiting, to say the least. Uh, so we alluded to it earlier. Uh, the new head coach at Florida State is from Memphis. So another Memphis head coach headed to the ACC, Mike Norvell. You know, he uh, he led Memphis to an ACC title. They were 12-1 and this year. It was their third straight conference championship game. He is the second youngest head coach at a Power 5 school right now, still behind Lincoln Riley. Lincoln's still the youngest at 36. Uh, Memphis has had multiple school records on offense uh, this season, and they scored 30 or more points in 43 of the 53 games that Norvell was the head coach. So that's pretty impressive. Only Oklahoma and Ohio State have averaged more points per game in four seasons that since Norvell has been uh, in um, in Memphis. And, you know, he's a guy, he previously worked under Todd Graham as offensive coordinator at Arizona State and Pitt. Um, also spent some time at Tulsa as a passing game coordinator. So uh, probably a good hire for Florida State. You know, definitely a heavy offensive guy. We'll see what that means for Kendall Bryles. Yep. Um, Odell Hagens, you know, I I'd recommend to Mike to go ahead and retain that one. Um, but, uh, yeah, probably a good hire for, for Florida State. We'll see how it plays out. Not the big splash that uh, Willie Taggart made, but, um, you know, Mike was a heavily or a highly regarded name in college football circles, especially among some of the head coaching jobs that were open right now. Yeah, it, Norvell's a guy that's going to, you know, he knows what he's doing on the offensive end. Um, and, you know, seeing if he'll be able to drive or, or jive with Kendall Bryles kind of outlook on play calling will be interesting. Um, but he's just done so well at Memphis. Right. And, and Justin Fuente uh, kind of set that program up to run like a well-oiled machine and, and run like a well-oiled machine. It has um, how much of that is credit to Norvell, how much of it is credit to Fuente is um, yet to be seen. But he inherited a good situation at Memphis. He kept that going and improved upon even uh, what Justin had done there. So he obviously deserves a lot of credit for that. And I think gives Florida State a lot of what they needed where uh, Norvell, pretty highly respected as a coach, um, you know, he doesn't have the same question marks, I think, that Willie Taggart came with. Although what Willie did bring was that, uh, that optimism, that recruiting edge, that dynamic personality that Norvell may or may not be. Um, although if you look at his pictures or one of his pictures from his time at uh, Central Arkansas as a wide receiver in college, he is rocking braids and looking extremely sharp. So if you want to go find that picture, I highly recommend it. Um, you know, I think Florida State made a good choice here. I, I think that's actually really, really smart of them to go with a guy like Mike. Um, he seems like a winner. The only thing that maybe uh, should raise some questions is going to be obviously no Power 5 experience for him. Uh, so they're dipping into Virginia Tech's bag of trips. Tricks. It looks like the Fuente hire all over again, um, and he has been zero and three in bowl games. Um, you know, at least a couple that he should have won. So 
uh, not done so well in the bowls, and we'll see how that translates over in Tallahassee. But uh, I think they made the right decision. So let's go ahead and jump over to the championship weekend recap, and we're not going to spend a whole lot of time here because there weren't a lot of great games, to be honest. Uh, the one game that was really good, which was kind of surprising considering that Charlie Brewer was knocked out in the second quarter, was the Baylor-OU game, which goes to overtime. Mm-hmm. So uh, pretty incredible game by Baylor, if you ask me, to uh, to be able to compete playing three quarterbacks, um, none of which other than Brewer were expected to play in the game. And uh, they hung on, but at the end of the day, OU had a little bit too much um, in overtime for him and ended up getting to that college football playoff as the number four seed. Oregon dominated Utah. Ohio State survived a first-half scare against Wisconsin, and then LSU was just all over Georgia. So yeah, uh, those games were interesting. We did see LSU kind of catapult to the number one spot um, and will be taking on Oklahoma. So Ohio State was bumped down, and they have the pleasure, Tim, of meeting Clemson. And Clemson is a team that destroyed their opponent by 45 points. UVA, final score, 62-17. Fifth straight ACC title, 28th straight win for the Clemson Tigers. They will take on Ohio State in the PlayStation Fiesta Bowl in Glendale, Arizona on December 28th for a chance to play in the national title. And uh, Lawrence in this game, he set an ACC title game record with his four touchdown passes, also had 302 yards passing, uh, found T. Higgins a lot. He had 182 yards and three touchdowns. Both ended up being co-MVPs of the game. Travis Etienne had 114 yards rushing, eight time over 100 yards this year. And uh, the one positive for UVA, and I actually thought UVA played okay offensively in this one. Yeah, you know they gained uh, they gained 387 yards of total offense. Uh, first time that an opponent has gone over 300 yards against Clemson this year, and uh, you know defensively they just couldn't stop anything. I mean, horrible tackling. Uh, that secondary that we thought was a liability that Virginia Tech thought they'd be able to take advantage of a little bit more often. Uh, yeah, yeah, Clemson took <laughs> advantage of it in uh, in a big way, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, Clemson, they finished with 619 yards of total offense. They averaged 14.1 yards per play. You know, they were a team that they've got a lot of weapons. You look at UVA, Bryce Perkins had 324 of those 387 total yards. So that one-trick pony didn't work in this one, although I will give UVA's offensive credit. You know, they did play uh, – I thought they played pretty well overall considering the opponent. Um, the defense just didn't show up. Yeah, I mean, look, we saw this one coming from a mile away. I think everyone did. Uh, Guarding Justin Ross and T. Higgins with a healthy uh, pair of cornerbacks is one thing. Guarding them with a patchwork secondary is another thing, and and that was always going to be a problem uh, for UVA. And Clemson had a statement to make uh, to the playoff committee, and it it wasn't resounding enough, apparently. Um, but they had to go out there and, and they had to go full throttle and not let up the entire game, which, you know, led to a situation where you saw uh, UVA uh, get obviously beaten worse in the ACC championship game than anybody had uh, a yet to uh, to record. And, and that's not surprising. So uh, a good season for UVA, all things considered, obviously. Uh, they won their Super Bowl last week. So to follow it up, there was always potentially going to be a letdown. Uh, in the championship game, but um, yeah, a big win for them, uh, Clemson speaking. Uh, just wasn't enough to propel their ranking, so you see a, a team in Clemson that uh, started the year off at number one, 
uh, lost no football games, uh, beat the crap out of just about everybody on their schedule, and now goes into the college football playoffs as the uh, third-seeded team. So uh, an interesting route to get there, and Clemson uh, with a big Totino's size chip on their shoulder as they head into the college football playoffs. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to watch that game. Ohio State-Clemson is a heck of a way to kick that sucker off. Yeah, that's going to be a good one. There's there's no doubt about it. And, um, you know, Ohio State probably played their worst game of the season, which is saying something. You know, they still ended up winning by 13 points, I think. But, yeah, um, yeah, it cost them. It cost them pretty big because I don't think anybody thinks Oklahoma is on the same level as the other three teams. I mean, they, they no. only lost once. They just, you know, defensively, uh, they're not all there. Um, so, you know, we'll see what happens. You know, they got Jalen Hurts, a really experienced quarterback. We'll see if he can, uh, if he can, you know, make something happen. But yeah, I mean, UVA at the end of the day just had too much. This game really, it really started getting out of hand in the fourth quarter when Clemson pulled their starters, and it just felt like UVA had given up by that point. Yeah, because yeah. they were just starting to pile on the points. So, um, you know, tough, uh, tough to lose by 45. Now people were wondering, you know, how in the world could UVA still be ranked after a game like that? Listen, you typically do not get penalized a whole lot for a loss, regardless of what that loss looks like in a conference championship game, because nobody else is playing. It's considered to be some kind of playoff game. So, you don't typically see the drop. Now, if this was a regular season game and like in the middle of October, yeah, UVA would have dropped out of the top 25, no doubt. But the reason that they are still ranked, the reason that they got that automatic Orange Bowl bid is because teams typically do not fall far when losing, even if they lose by 45. So, right. Right. Uh, let's jump over to bowls, Tim. So we're just going to go ahead and run through some of the bowls that are going on here. We are going to preview them at a later time. But just a reminder, we do have the ESPN Capital One Bowl Mania Chowder and Grits. So go to ESPN and join that. Uh, just type in Chowder and Grits. You should be able to find it. We sh- tweeted it out earlier as well. So you should be able to uh, to find it. Click on the link and go ahead and join. Uh, but that'll just be something fun for bowl season. But uh, yeah, let's run through it by earliest to latest Tim. so on thursday december 26th we've got the independence bowl kicking things off for the acc the university of miami playing louisiana tech so Mm. you know not exactly uh what you know miami probably had in mind to start the season um (laughs) but here they are nonetheless um probably not the worst game We'll see from an ACC as far as matchups concerned. The one later that night, the Quick Lane Bowl. This one's at 8 p.m. Pitt against Eastern Michigan. So, yeah, there's not going to be a whole lot of people in the stands there. Uh, I got to tell you, that matchup made me kind of throw up in my mouth when I saw it for the first time. So what a tough, what a tough draw. You know, yeah. you, you look forward to watching all of these games. Obviously, I know I do. Bowl season is is just great. But wow, I mean, that that is going to be uh, ghastly football on display there. <laughs> uh, one that I think will be really good, actually, Friday, December 27th, we've got Temple in North Carolina in the Military Bowl. 
and then Wake Forest and Michigan State will follow that in the Pinstripe Bowl. So I think both of those games could be pretty good. I like the matchup for Wake Forest. Michigan State hasn't been very good this year. Uh, but Temple and North Carolina, Temple has had a nice season. North Carolina, they'll take anybody to uh, to the brink. So those two games could be interesting. Then obviously we've got the Clemson-Ohio State matchup on December 28th in the Fiesta Bowl. That one's in prime time. Uh, Monday, December 30th, we've got Louisville against Mississippi State in the Music City Bowl and the University of Virginia against the University of Florida in the Orange Bowl. So interesting thing with Mississippi State today, there was a lot of confusion about who Virginia Tech was going to play in the Belk Bowl. And um, yeah, it had to do with the University of Tennessee. So they were basically holding up everything because they had the tiebreaker against Kentucky and they decided that they didn't want to play in the Music City Bowl, which is where they were originally slotted. So then they had to realign where Mississippi State was going because Kentucky or Tennessee was going to play in the Belk Bowl. And then Tennessee decided they didn't want to play in the Belk Bowl. They wanted to play in the Gator Bowl. So that's why there was so much confusion about who Virginia Tech is going to play. But that confusion has been cleared up. It is the University of Kentucky. That is the Belk Bowl at noon on December 31st. And then Florida State, Arizona State later that day in the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. So how about that? That's a fun one. What a name. Good good old Tony. He's one of the best Tigers I, I know for sure. And then the last bowl of the ACC bowl season, unless Clemson gets to the national title, is Boston College against the University of Cincinnati in the Birmingham Bowl. That's probably going to be a bloodbath. No doubt. So that's your ACC bowl lineup. We will preview all of those games for you next week. It should be a fun show. Um, you know, a lot of things going on bowl season. We'll see what happens. Uh, we may actually push that preview a week just in case something, uh, something happens with transfers. You never know just how things are going to shape out and coaching changes and, and coaching really searches. So, yeah, a so lot going on. It's a little hairy sometimes with bowl season now, especially when guys entering the draft who may choose not to play. So that definitely kind of affects what, what to expect from, uh, from a team to team standpoint. Sure. Tim, anything else you would like to say before we wrap the show up? Um, yeah, maybe just uh, hang on uh, to your hats. I think it's going to be, you know, I don't necessarily have a, a great source on this kind of information. This is more speculation from me. Um, you know, we at least have, I guess, two holes in the coaching staff that we have to fill, potentially more. Uh, I think it's going to get pretty exciting as far as hokey football goes and the direction we take from a coaching standpoint. Um, you know, I think a lot of issues that have been outstanding for the past couple of years are going to be addressed this year um, in this offseason. We've obviously seen the start of it. I don't think it's the end of it. Um, so, yeah, just just get prepared. It's going to get hairy. Um, and so everybody needs to hang tight, which I guess is good for us. That just means, you know, more show material for us as we, uh, head into 2020. But, um, for all intents and purposes, it looks like we're trying to make sure the ship is on the right course, uh, before we head into 2020 with all that talent, because I think 2020 could be a hell of a year, uh, for the Hokies. Yeah, I think 2020 will be a good year. There's still some things to shape out there on the coaching staff. We'll see what happens there, but, uh, you know. I, I'm excited about the Hamilton hire. I think it will end up being a good one. Uh, just call me uh, overly optimistic, but I will uh, I will go that route, um, and we'll see what happens. So 
you know, I think at the end of the day, we've got that Bud Foster coaching tree extension into the 2020 season and probably beyond quite a bit. Uh, so that's got to be pretty exciting for Virginia Tech football fans to hear. But thanks for listening to the show today. We are Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. You can obviously listen to us in a variety of ways. Apple Podcasts, Spotify are the two faves, but basically anywhere you want to listen to a podcast, you should be able to find us. Uh, actually, go to Twitter, hit that follow button, go to Facebook, hit that like button, Chowder and Grits, you'll find us. And then, of course, ESPN College Football, Bowl, Mania, Chowder and Grits. Join the group. You won't want to miss it. Tim, why don't you tell these people what they can do for us? Leave us reviews, share our content. We certainly appreciate you guys spreading the word and tuning in on a weekly basis to listen to us yammer on about these Hokies and the ACC. So, yeah, just continue to do those two things. I know you guys are doing a great job. Interact with us on Twitter. Uh, send us messages. We love hearing from you guys, so keep that up as well. Um, and, yeah, add to that. Just subscribe. Make sure you're listening to our podcast, uh, you know, the moment it comes out because you don't want to be obviously dealing with a backlog situation, which can happen uh, from time to time. Uh, so that's it for me. I know that's probably it for you too, Justin. Um, I'll let you throw anything else that you want to say after I'm done here. But all in all, uh, congratulations to Coach Hamilton. Uh, this is a big deal for him and a big deal for Southwestern Virginia, um, rural Southwestern Virginia, that is. A great part of the country, uh, even greater, greater people. So with that, go Hokies, go ACC, go Clemson, win the whole thing, uh, and keep listening to Chad Andrews. See you guys later.